it's inevitable that the current edifice of just paying doctors to do things to patients after the disease has already started, to do these very expensive Band-Aid procedures, quarter million dollar operation, and the patient limps out of the hospital to go eat more cheeseburgers and pizzas and clog up their graphs so they can come back in and have another one done. That's bankrupt medicine. And the phrase, do no harm, applies to dietary advice as well. And you can really hurt somebody with the wrong diet. And I think a lot of wrong advice is being given. We're not homo carnivorous. We're not flesh-eating apes. And our simian ancestors have been on this planet for 20 million years, eating leaves and fruits. Our bonobo and gorilla cousins are up in the trees today eating leaves and fruits. Basically, we we're plant-eating creatures. And as long as we eat a plant-predominant diet, whole plant foods, leaves and greens and fruits and vegetables, your body's going to thrive on that. And we talk about disease reversal. I was a physician 45 years before anybody even put those two words in the same sentence for me, that these are reversible diseases, the diabetes and the high blood pressure and the, and the inflammatory arthritis. These diseases go away with a healthy diet. That's Dr. Michael Clapper, this week on The Ritual Podcast. Rich Roll Podcast. How's everybody holding up? Strange times indeed. All I can say is that I hope this finds you well in this surreal and solemn moment of sequestration and social distancing. And I think it's important to acknowledge the reality of what we're currently facing and that emotions like fear and anxiety and uncertainty are normal human responses. But I also think it's equally important to not allow these feelings to overwhelm us or to commandeer our emotional state because there's very little that we can control about what's happening. But what we do have is agency, agency over how we decide to use this time, what we decide to consume, the thoughts that we entertain, the behaviors we indulge in and the choices that we make about how to respond, not react, but respond to that which we can't control. So do all the things, stay home if you can. I hope you're staying home if you're capable of doing so. Get lots of sleep, eat healthy, move your bodies. Endeavor to create a routine and a sense of normalcy in your day. I think that's very important. And of course, pay close attention to your information diet. I think it's critical that you ask yourself if and what you're consuming informationally is serving you and when it acts as a distraction or worse, a means of keeping you afraid and paralyzed. I also think it's important to echo my conversation with Julie from the other day to embrace this moment of isolation as an opportunity because we're required to quite literally stop, it really is a once in a lifetime opportunity to invest in self-inquiry, to put mindfulness to the test, a rare moment to put distance between you and the choices that you have historically made about how you live your life so that we can objectively reassess what is working and what is not, what is serving you and what must go. And I think through this lens, and without, of course, minimizing the seriousness and the severity, the extreme severity of what is occurring, 
I do think it's possible to process this event as a gift and to navigate it with a little bit more grace and gratitude. And for all of you out there who are still in the world, shipping our packages, treating the unwell, maintaining our food supply and our healthcare system, making sure we all maintain access to essential goods, your selflessness is truly, truly laudable. And I think I speak for everybody in saying thank you and that we are very much in your debt. And to everybody out there who's experiencing extreme hardship right now, those of you who perhaps have contracted the illness or are close to somebody who has, and to those of you who have been laid off or find yourselves on sudden unpaid leave without a savings buffer, and to everybody who finds themselves lonely and disconnected amidst this isolating moment, my heart goes out to you, it really does. And I don't have answers for you. I wish I had solutions, I don't. But what I can do is create a space for you with this show, whether it be informational or just a welcome distraction. And towards that end, I've been putting a considerable amount of thought into how to best leverage this platform to be of maximum service. Uh, Pre-pandemic, I was able to compile a library of 14, I think 14, relatively evergreen conversations, which I'm now extremely grateful for. And my current thinking is that I will continue to publish those episodes every Sunday night as usual. So even in the event of an extended sequestration, and inability to host in-person podcasts going forward, I will be able to maintain the normal integrity of the show in both audio and video formats for at least the next couple months. However, it strikes me as utterly tone deaf and I think on some level even irresponsible to not also use this platform to address what we are experiencing in real time. And towards that end, my current thinking is that I'll be putting up a show every Thursday directed at contemporaneously speaking to our collective crisis with the idea of providing not just information, but perspective and comfort in this precarious moment. Uh, My last episode with Julie was the first instance of this. It seems to have been well-received. And so despite my severe allergy to remote podcasting, it's just not what I do. I'm not a huge fan of it, but... Times are strange and we all have to adapt. So I'm actively scheduling some interesting people to engage remotely while also endeavoring how to best maintain some semblance of adequate audio quality. Uh, My first attempt will be a conversation with Dr. Zach Bush, who is currently en route from Fiji to Oahu. That conversation is scheduled for Monday and assuming that I can figure out the technology piece and all goes well, my intention is to publish that conversation on Thursday, March 26th. Meanwhile, today's episode exemplifies a momentary return to my normal programming, a conversation that was recorded in late January, pre-coronavirus, with an OG legend of all things plant-based, my good friend, Dr. Michael Clapper. He's a beautiful man. It's a great conversation and you're gonna hear it all go down in a couple minutes, but first. (laughs) 
We're brought to you today by Momentus. Over the last 16 years, I can safely say that I have tried almost every single plant-based protein out there. And I can tell you that most of them are highly processed with tons of additives and or they taste terrible, they're not third-party tested, or simply just don't hit the nutritional bullseye with a legit science-supported formula with the appropriate amino acid profile that promotes optimal nutrient absorption, which is all just a long way of saying how enthusiastic I was to be introduced to Momentus's 100% plant-based protein, which solves for all of the above and then some with a precise blend of pea and rice proteins, which yields a complete amino acid profile, tastes great, and has become my go-to to ensure my body is supplied with energy for proper recovery and function. Momentus products are simply the best in the industry, which is why they're used by over 90% of NFL teams, by Olympians, Tour de France champs, and world-class athletes across every sport. With all the BS in the supplement world, I trust Momentus's industry-leading quality standards and quality. Try Momentus for yourself by going to livemomentus.com richroll for 20% off plant-based protein and all of their top-of-the-line products. That's L-I-V-E-M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S dot com slash richroll for 20% off. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel. But what you wear isn't just clothes. It is, without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you, after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by a very exciting brand new sponsor, Go Brewing. I am sober. I don't drink. And I devoted so many episodes of this podcast to the unreal benefits of an alcohol-free lifestyle. Why? Because even if you don't have issues with booze and suds, no amount of alcohol is good for you. At a minimum, it wreaks havoc on your sleep and produces a hangover that destroys your energy, your mood, and your focus. At worst, it turns your whole life upside down. But no longer does that mean you have to break up with your favorite brew because my pals at Go Brewing are making all your favorite brews, minus the alcohol, fewer calories, and more productive tomorrows. It's not every day that I 
get the privilege to witness the inception of a company collaborating with our podcast, but that's exactly what happened with Go Brewing. I'm going to tell you this story. A few years back, I spoke at this event in Illinois, fittingly named Go, and it turns out that that very day catalyzed Joe, the founder, to start his own NA beer company, Go Brewing. I had no idea about any of this until I bumped into Joe at Jesse Itzler's Running Man event the other month in Georgia, and he shared this story with me. I savored his fare in all its varieties and deeply moved by the mission and what he shared with me and just impressed with the insane taste and quality of his alcohol-free concoctions, I wanted to help share the discovery. Made with natural ingredients faithful to traditional beer styles, Go Brewing has an impressive lineup of delicious, small-batch, craft, alcohol-free brews, all without added sugar or artificial processing. My favorite is their double IPA, not just another story, but basically you just really can't go wrong because everything they make is brewed to perfection, worthy of trying yourself, which you can now do at gobrewing.com. That's gobrewing.com and use the code richroll for 15% off your first purchase. Okay, so fair to say, evidence-based conversations with leading clinicians at the intersection of nutrition and functional health are at the very core of this show and have been since the inception of this podcast. And today, we honor this longstanding tradition with one of my very favorite medical minds, Dr. Michael Clapper. For the past 40 years, Dr. Clapper has distinguished himself as a gifted general practitioner, an internationally recognized teacher, and sought-after speaker on diet, health, applied plant-based nutrition, and integrative medicine. Now in sort of a career third act, Dr. K is now doing what he considers the most important work of his life, lecturing at medical schools nationwide, educating students on using plant-predominant nutrition and positive lifestyle changes to literally change the way future doctors treat their patients and ultimately improve the health of future generations to come. Today, Dr. Clapper and I pick things up where we left off in our first podcast conversation published six years ago, almost to the very day, just one day off. That was RRP 77, if you missed it back in the day. And today we discuss his decades of experience reversing patients' chronic ailments through whole food plant-based nutrition and active lifestyle protocols. We talk about his mission to help empower the next generation of doctors to better heal their patients. And we explore his dream of eradicating the chronic lifestyle epidemics that unnecessarily afflict millions of people every single year. The most energetic and youthful 72-year-old I have ever met. I aspire to this beautiful and gentle man's enthusiasm for life and commitment to service. And I'm delighted to share his message with all of you guys today. Final thought, the world today is very different than it was a month or two ago, and things are indeed evolving rapidly. And it's disorienting, it's confusing. So to everyone who finds themselves scared or anxious or lonely or disconnected amidst the isolation, I just wanna reiterate that we truly are all in this together. And although we are admittedly geographically separated, we need not be socially disconnected. And so I encourage all of you to 
take advantage of the powerful digital tools that we have to maintain and even strengthen your connection to your respective communities and loved ones. Because the more united we can be, the more connected, the better off we will find ourselves, no matter how this crisis unfolds. I hope this podcast helps serve that end for you. And with that, I give you Dr. Michael Clapper. It's great to see you, my friend. I don't see you often enough. And it's uh, it's a gift and an honor to be able to reprise a conversation that we started, I think it was six years ago, yes. sitting in the cabin of a cruise ship in the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> <laughs> Seems appropriate somehow, yeah. doesn't it? Yes. It does. Um, in the early days of the show, mm-hmm. uh, we've come a long way since then, but your message has remained consistent. You've done so many amazing things over the course of your career. Um, you really are a gift to to health and, and humanity. So first of all, I just want to say that oh, publicly. Thank, well, thank you. Thank you. Um, and I'm really interested in, in hearing more about this next chapter that you've been on, um, mm-hmm. going around to medical schools and, and, and lecturing to medical students about nutrition, which seems to be, you know, a much needed thing and, and quite overdue. So how did this whole thing come about? Oh, my. Uh, well, and Rich, thank you so much for the invitation. It's great to see your smiling face across the table here. And I uh, commend you for all your wonderful work. Uh, you. You've been an inspiration steadily for me. And every time I hear one of your good interviews, I think I've got to get back on that show again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, here we are. <laughs> so here we are. Great. So uh, such an important question that you asked. Um, modern medicine, and I've been a physician now 47 years, and I entered medicine in the late 60s, early 70s, and seen lots of wonderful changes. Uh, and it's become powerful on a level that uh, none of us have been able to conceive of. But there's been this glaring, grotesque absence, uh, this black hole, Mm. uh, and it comes to true causes of disease, the true powerful healing techniques. And, of course, we're talking about uh, what our patients are eating. Mm -hmm. And uh, Western medicine has evolved or devolved to the point uh, where we practice medicine, we take histories, we order all these tests, do physical exams, and never once ask the patient, what do you eat? Take me through yesterday's eating day. And and it's such a huge oversight because that's, by and large, the reason why the patient is sitting in front of us overweight and hypertensive mm-hmm. and diabetic and clogged up and inflamed because of what they're running through their bloodstream every few hours. And, uh, and yet we just blow right past uh, as far from the medical point of view. It not, doesn't even enter the equation of what's happening. And that leads to such not only inefficiency, um, but everything from wrong diagnosis to wrong treatment to real patients dying on real operating tables from operations they don't need. Uh, So at this point in my medical career, I had to to say seeing another elderly person with constipation is is not uh, the best (laughs) use of my energy. You've got to do something about this. So uh, so the campaign, the uh, Moving Medicine Forward Initiative came from there. And you, you're doing this with the Plant Pure like foundation, right? It's like a 501c3? Yes. I'm very appreciative to the folks at Plant Pure Communities. Um, they, uh, 
we entered into an agreement where um, if people want to support our work, um, getting me in front of medical school audiences, um, if they give a donation to uh, Planned Peer Communities, um, they they uh, it finds its way to our uh, nonprofit account here. So uh-huh. they've kind of uh, extended their umbrella over us a bit, and uh, it certainly has made a big difference as yeah. far as some, getting some support. So how many medical schools have you lectured uh, so far, we've, we've been to tw- just about 20, uh, and uh, we've got another 4A lined up here. I'm going to be going to uh, University of Texas in, in Houston, Dallas, uh, San Antonio, um, then the University of Arkansas. Uh, we've, then we've got a swing through the Northeast, going to be going to Rutgers, University of Massachusetts. Uh, we were just up at University of Washington in Seattle, University of Florida in, in Gainesville. Uh, all medical audiences are the folks are my friends right. at this point. I want to reach as many first year students as I can before pharmacosclerosis sets into their brain. Pharmacolo- <laughs> I like that. I'd never heard that before. I like that. Indeed, <laughs> the only treatments drugs. Yeah. Yet, no doctors. There's uh-huh. a there's a better, more elegant way to approach the condition here. So so give me a synopsis or like a truncated version of of what it is that you speak about when you get in front of these students. Well, as I step up to the microphone, I, I tell them, listen, I'm going to give you the, the lecture I wish somebody had given me 50 years ago, 50 freaking years has been since I was a first-year medical mm-hmm. student, 1968. Um, but um, I, if somebody had told me uh, what I tell a student, listen, you're going to be learning from the, about these weird and wonderful diseases from smallpox to leprosy. But the reality is when you open the door of your waiting room of your clinic or the emergency department or surgical outpatient, you're not going to be seeing patients with leprosy and smallpox, thank God. Uh It's going to be obesity and diabetes and clogged arteries and inflammatory diseases from what your patients are eating. And unless you get real with that, then you're going to miss the diagnosis about what's really staring you in the face. And your treatment's going to be inappropriate. It's going to be Band-Aid medicine. Mm -hmm. Uh, If the patient's making themselves sick with what they're eating every few hours, then you're just there to raise their statin dosage or raise their metformin dosage. It's bankrupt medicine. You're, You're not helping that patient. You're perpetuating their problems. Right. So in terms of unpacking the nutrition side of this, I mean, you're coming from a whole food plant-based perspective. I'm interested Mm -hmm. in how that's received from the medical school community. I mean, obviously, you know, even in the period since we first did this podcast, the movement has grown tremendously. It's incredible what's happening now, even versus then. But as somebody who's been in this, I mean, you graduated med school in like 72, right? And then- went vegan, I think about 10 years later. So you've been doing this for a long time. You've been treating patients forever. Um, I'm sure there were, there were decades in there where you were this crazy maverick fighting the system. And you know, perhaps on some level you're still doing that. Although I would imagine the reception is a little bit more welcoming. Correct. Very perceptive on your part. Uh, the first part of my lecture, and I want to talk science to these young students. And um, so I've got it's, it's sort of a two pronged uh, attack here. One is to convince them that food has anything to do with these diseases. Uh, again, it's usually etiology <laughs> unknown. We, uh-huh. we, the, the autoimmune disease, we don't know why the body attacks itself, but the smart guys that NIH are working 24-7, and when they come up with the answer, they'll design a mesocillin and give it to us to restore our patients to perfect health. Well, that's not going to happen. And uh, um, so 
I showed them slides of what happens to their blood after they eat rice and beans and greens and what happens to their blood after they eat a cheeseburger and a milkshake. And I showed them all the fat in the blood and all the inflammatory proteins, all the things that, that percolate through the system hour after hour, not only that, but month after month, year after year. And I tell them, then we're shocked when, when inflammation appears in the body. We're, we're puzzled when the arteries start placking up with atherosclerosis. We can't figure out why the guy's joints erupted with autoimmune arthritis. Uh, and certainly that colon cancer that, that popped out of the colon, gee, that was just mm-hmm. bad luck, bad genes. Well, nonsense. It's the food. It's the food. It's what they're eating. These diseases are not supposed to happen uh, spontaneously. It's, it's the fuel we're putting through um, through the system. It's, we've been putting diesel fuel through a gasoline-burning engine, and right. we're getting all, these, um, all this dysfunction. So my first task is just to, to make the connection between food and, and disease right. and, and health, if you do it right. And then we move uh, delicately into the issue of animal-based foods versus plant-based foods and how fundamentally the diet changes. You put a piece of animal flesh into the intestinal tract two, three times a day. You're going to change everything from the flora, from the bacteria that live in the gut, uh, to the chemistry of the blood, to the to what you're smearing on the colon wall, uh, to the, the leakiness that you uh, of the intestinal wall that you create that leads to autoimmune disease. It Changes everything, and and it's uh, you know politically dicey. A lot of folks are, and a lot of the students and their professors are into paleo diets, mm-hmm. etc. But I said, listen, we're, we're basically plant-eating creatures. Our simian ancestors have been on this planet for twenty million years, eating leaves and fruits. Our bonobo and gorilla cousins are up in the trees today eating leaves and fruits. Basically, we're plant-eating creatures. And as long as we uh, eat a plant-predominant diet, you don't have to be 100% vegan, but if the majority of what goes down your gullet is whole plant foods, leaves Mm -hmm. and greens and fruits and vegetables, your body's going to thrive on that. And we talk about disease reversal. In fact, I put that concept up on on the slide, disease reversal. I was a physician 45 years before anybody even put those two words in the same sentence for me, that these are reversible diseases, these the diabetes and the high blood pressure and the, and the inflammatory arthritis. These diseases go away with a healthy diet. And so towards the end, I put up a fairly controversial set of slides where I showed them the list of the classic diseases, diabetes, hypertension, et cetera. And I, with another click of the slide, the words reversible comes on. These are all reversible diseases. And then the most controversial slide I put up, I click it and I said, you want to heal these patients or don't you? I mean, really, why did you go into medicine? Want to heal these people? Then get real about what they're eating because that's why they're sitting in front of you. We've been, we've been treating the patient's diet like uh, in the Harry Potter movies of Voldemort, you know, the, the name that must not be spoken. Ooh, don't ask what the patient's eating. Uh, we're Americans. We can eat whatever we want. Yeah, but your arteries got something to say about that. Mm-hmm. Your prostate glands got something to say about that. Your, your intestinal tract got something to say about it. Your doctor's got something to say about it because he's going or she's going to be dealing with the consequences of that. And uh, so let's get real about what the patient's eating because it's, it's such a powerful factor. So, um, so I've got these powerful concepts to wheel in during the course of my slide presentation. But it's a bit easier, as you implied, because in, in now we're in 2020, 
And in every first, second, third year medical school class now, there's 20 or 30 students. They've seen movies like Forks Over Knives. Right. They've seen What the Hell. They've seen Cow Spirit. The, the light's on. They, they uh-huh. get that there's something to this nutrition thing. They caught you in, in probably the most memeable, quotable <laughs> <laughs> scene in all of uh, it. Was it What the Hell or Cowspiracy where it, you cow, said, cowspiracy. what did it be? What uh, dairy is cow's milk is baby calf growth fluid. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's right. what this stuff is. That has traveled far and wide across the <laughs> Indeed, internet. I'm going to have a t-shirt made up with <laughs> yeah. that. Uh, Here's the guy who said it. Indeed. Right in front of us. And, uh, and um, so in that way, it's a little easier. There, there's often allies in, in the audience among the students. Mm-hmm. But there's always a bunch of professors in the back of the room with their arms folded and their tongues going cluck, cluck. But um, they'll either either get on board or they'll be pushed aside. This Mm. wave is breaking. Mm -hmm. There's no stopping it. Food is is really uh, where it's at as far as healing goes, and and modern medicine has to go for that. Essentially, the the student body, these younger people, are much more receptive to it than the institution. Absolutely. But the institution is the one that greenlights you to come and speak in the first place. So there has to be some amenability to what you have to share. Yes, although you brought up an interesting point that um, the administration of these medical schools, they don't want to hear from Dr. Clapper. The, the message is disruptive. <laughs> A it, lot of it eye breaks, rolling. It and, breaks their models. Uh-huh. And uh, so we go right to the students. Uh, we um, have they're, them, the ones they're the ones. They're the ones. They invite on, me in. They arrange, mm-hmm. they, they reserve the lecture hall. They arrange for the Indian restaurant to bring over the samosas uh, for lunchtime uh, rounds. And uh, so we, we've been dealing right with the students. And, and we ask them to form a nutrition interest group. So after I leave, so it's not a one-time drive-by lecture. Um, they, they start a, um, a nutrition interest group. And once a month, I'll Skype in. We'll talk about uh, nutrition-based cases. We'll, we'll keep the, the light on as far as uh, their awareness of how important nutrition is in their patients. Yeah, that's crucial. I mean, that was my next question. It's great for you to pop in for a couple hours, but what is the legacy of that, Let, you know, in, in, unless they create a curriculum around it, or there's some kind of follow up to, you know, create some momentum around this, then you know, how impactful can it possibly be? I mean, how far away are we from from really kind of canonizing nutrition studies in medical school so that we can create a new generation of people who are well versed in what is so important in terms of treating patients? Oh, Rich, you, you put your finger right on it, of course, and. Uh, I gave a lecture up in um, in Seattle, and uh, Professor of Surgery uh, came down afterwards and said, nice lecture, Doc, very important, good stuff, but I'll tell you. <clears throat> Until the National Board of Medical Examiners starts asking questions on the National Board about nutrition, we're not going to be teaching this stuff. It's enough to, for us to get in surgery and biochemistry and physiology. We and Nutrition mm-hmm. is just not on the radar screen. And when he said that, I was thinking, oh, he's right. And so from that has come a, um, a real initiative, uh, largely spearheaded by the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, to right. get questions about nutrition on the national board exams. And so uh, we went to the National Board of Medical Examiners, and they, we told them that. And they say, okay, very begrudgingly, but we don't know anything about about nutrition and lifestyle medicine. You guys make up the questions, and uh, and we'll we'll put a few of them on the exam. So they put the ball back in the court of American College of Lifestyle Medicine, mm-hmm. where I am a member. 
And uh, so we are now engaged in a, uh, in a process of uh, creating a pool of 1,000 questions um, to give to the National Board of Medical Examiners and have them take um, a, a sample of them to, um, to put on the exam. So then we can start going to the medical schools and say, this is going to be on You're the National Board. You're going to get tested on this. They're going to get tested so on now, it. Whoa, it's now real. Got, now you got their yeah. attention. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. It's sad, uh, really, uh-huh. if, if because they, they don't realize the jewel that's in front of them. This is the key to the healing uh, again, and they're going to begrudgingly give it a uh, uh, a little bit of energy on the test. And I'm afraid, knowing the, the reality of it, there's going to be a question about olive oil and another one about getting enough sleep. And yeah, they'll give, give right. a token um, recognition. But as far as really getting into plant-based nutrition, uh, I'm going to have to keep working at the coal phase for a while to get that uh, reality. Right. Over the course of your uh, many decade career, I'm sure you've seen diet trends and fads come and go. And, you know, it's interesting to see what sticks and what doesn't and what passes. I'm sure you've seen it all. Um, and right now we're in a moment where we are seeing, you know, the explosion of interest in plant-based diets and the science that backs it up in lockstep with that though, there's also a very, you know, strident growing, uh, movement around low carb eating and the keto diet. And so I'm sure these questions come up all the time, especially the with time. these students and just in general. So how do you kind of think about that and how do you communicate around those other protocols and oh what my. is your perspective on them? Oh my, uh, there's a, another show that itself. We got time. All right, we sure got plenty enough. of time. So. Great. Okay. Well, we'll go I mean, this is then. like, you know, sure. listen, there's a lot to of plant-based key. people that listen to the show, but there's mm-hmm. people that are on different kinds of diets. Yeah, and, absolutely. And I think the reason I'm asking you this question sure. uh-huh. is, you know, for even a very well-educated, motivated listener or just consumer in general, they go online or they, you know, read whatever's happening and they see the stuff about plant-based, but they also see the stuff about keto and low carb. And it's confusing. Even if you're, you know, going to PubMed and and reading abstracts, which almost no one does, um, it's still confusing, right? There's science to support different perspectives and it's all very disorienting. And so I'm always trying to drive people towards, you know, what is common sense here? Where, you know, what do the facts really say? What does the science really say? And, and what are some principles that we can hang our hat on that can guide us in a trajectory that's doable in the context of our busy lives? Very important, of course. So we'll put on our miner's cap here and, and, and <laughs> drill, the, drill, drill down on this. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Um, and, it, and it starts with a, a recognition on, on everyone's part how toxic the standard Western diet has mm-hmm. become. And um, if you're especially a, a, even dabbling in fast foods at all, um, every piece of meat you eat is going to be uh, come with with white bread and sugary ketchup and hydrogenated oils and uh, and the the toxic load that comes uh, with with whether it's the peaches or the burgers or the buffalo wings etc. Uh, and all the diets who are serious about getting people healthier, whether it's paleo or keto or plant-based, whatever, uh, all of us, uh, we all, we strip away, um, that, um, yeah, that outer hull of toxic yeah, We can foods. all, we can all agree that we the all agree. standard American diet, the fast food diet is bad. Indeed. Yeah. And once you do that, 
that that step alone is a quantum leap, is a huge improvement, uh, and you reduce a huge load of refined sugars and uh, and fats and uh, foods that are grossly obesogenic, uh, and as a result. Uh, people, especially the, the paleo folks, strip out the dairy products as well, uh, and uh, as well as the oils. Uh, and when you take out the dairy, the oils, and, and junk flour products, uh, people are going to lose weight. And the very act of losing weight does good things in most people's bodies. Mm -hmm. And their lipid profiles get better, their diabetes gets better, they feel better, their energy level goes up. Uh, and so you see this, improve, this initial improvement in health in, in most all of these dietary styles. And it's enough to provide very powerful reinforcement. I went paleo, boy, I lost weight, felt good, man, that's the diet for me. Uh, and, and I hear that with the, with the keto folks as well. But as a physician and as a person who respects the biology of this, this body that we have, um, I mean, no gorilla packs its intestines full of meat two, three times a day like, like we do. Um, and having been in the medical game for so long, I have to say, wait a minute. Granted, you see this initial improvement, but I urge folks, do not be seduced by this improvement that you're seeing. Now, what the reality is, you pack that colon full of meat two, three times a day, a day uh, and you send this surge of cholesterol and saturated fat and oxidized meat proteins through the tissues day after day after day. As the months go by, as the years go by, this is a recipe for colon cancer. This is a recipe for artery disease. Mm -hmm. This is a recipe for strokes, recipe for dementia, recipe for autoimmune disease from leaky gut. And the problem, and, and I put this in my slideshow, so medicine's become very segmented. Medical care has become very fractionated, very segmented. And um, the odds of you seeing the same doctor when you go back to the clinic are, are small. Doctors move away. Patients move away. And the point is people... Uh, the, especially these young docs make these uh, recommendations, oh, you ought to eat paleo, you ought to eat keto. And then you never see them again. And I ask those young docs, you make these recommendations. You're going to be around in 10 years when this guy passes his first bloody stool from that colon cancer that your diet spawned. You won't even be around to see it. You're going to be around in 12 years and this lady's joints light up from the autoimmune arthritis that your diet, leaky gut gave her. You won't be around to see it. You think you've done something good for her. Um, but you're going to be around in 15 years when, when this guy has a stroke from that carotid plaque that your diet stirred up in his arteries. You're going to be around to see that. Uh, and that's my concern uh, as a physician, seasoned physician who's been in this game a while. Now, what, what are you really brewing up in these patients' colons? What are you really brewing up in their arteries? What are you really brewing up in their joints? What are you brewing up in their immune systems, in their prostate glands, in their colon, in their breast tissue? And, and the folks who are making these initial uh, recommendations don't – I say, do you really know what you're doing, doctor? You know, the phrase do no harm applies to dietary advice as well. And you can really hurt somebody with the wrong diet. And I think a lot of wrong advice is being given. Yeah. We're plant-eating creatures. We need to be true to that. Can you have a little piece of flesh once or twice a week? Yeah, I'd probably get away with it. But but we're not homo carnivorous. We're not flesh-eating apes. And uh, we're meant to run on whole plant foods. And when we do that, the body gets lean and healthy and arteries open up and inflammation subsides. And right. the, the body has the, has the final <laughs> word on that. So you are 71 right now? What, 72. 72. Mm -hmm. 
I can only aspire to be as vibrant and as healthy <laughs> and as handsome as you at 72. So for me, it's like yeah. the proof is in the pudding. I mean, you obviously, you know, have been living this lifestyle for a very long time and you're an incredible living example of the benefits of it. I mean, you're not, you're, no medications, right? Nope. No medication. Nope. I mean, you know, yeah. it's to me, it's yeah. like, there you go, right? Um, so I look at you, I hear what you're saying. And then I log on to Twitter and I see the debates and the kind of tribalism and the uh, silos and the uh, you know uh, unhealth. Talk about disease. You know, there's a disease of communication happening right now, um, and it's become really kind of. I mean, acrimonious is too really? gentle a word uh, of of people infighting, and you see this even within the vegan community. There was a, a flare up, you know, this week that we don't need to get into, mm-hmm. but. Um, but, you know, I, I think often, and I don't really participate in that, but I observe it, you know, sort of take a forensic, you know, look at what's happening. And it's deeply concerning to me because the people that are consuming that are just, like I said earlier, the average consumer. And I think it foments more confusion than clarity. Um, and I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on how we can, you know, create a healthier dialogue and flow of information about these important ideas, because truly, as you mentioned earlier, people's lives really are hanging in the balance here. Absolutely. And you, you touched on, on the, the major points that, that often get lost here, um, the, especially the folks in the plant-based community here. We're a small community, and yeah, we've got a big idea that we're trying to, uh, to widely promulgate. And and all this petty infighting uh, certainly doesn't help. Uh, the public looks at that, oh, these guys don't have their act together. It certainly doesn't help the larger mission. So one thing to do is for everybody to take a step back and say, what are we trying to accomplish here? We're trying to get plant-based eating widely accepted. Uh, and the least we can do uh, is talk civilly to each other and realize that we all are in the same boat, rowing in the same direction here. And, and we're all learning. We're all, we're all on the same journey together here. And to have respect for each other's journeys. And if something goes by that you have scientific disagreement with it, then express it civilly, professionally, and, and back up your reasoning why. And, and it doesn't have to be done in public. You can write someone a private email say, you know, I saw something you published, and you might want to consider point A, B, and C about that, and you want to talk about this. There's a way to communicate civilly mm-hmm. and professionally, and and that's uh, that has been one of the casualties here. And we need to everybody take a step back, and uh, and and because we're all friends, we all yeah. like each other. Uh, it's time to treat each other as such, as well as prof- as fellow professionals, and and get our communications on a level yeah. that that are not uh, injurious. It's super important. Um, What's your take on this sort of explosion of the carnivore diet that suddenly came out of nowhere and is capturing people's fascination? Yeah, like uh, my friend John McDougall says, people love to hear good news about bad habits. You know, they like that taste of steak in their mouth. So if a little is good, let's do more, it's better. But again, not even just more, like a hundred percent. Yeah, you know. Well, we're we're not carnivorous apes, and this is a recipe for colon cancer and and strokes and and autoimmune disease. And they're going to f- learn the hard way. I've already seen this the studies showing up in the journals that the folks who eat all the meat would uh, have lots of this TMAO molecule. In their bloodstream from the from the carnitine metabolism that the that the, these microbes spawn. This is not a karma-free diet, to say the least. And that pendulum is going to swing back hard, and and you're going to see 
the, the, the studies start showing how carnivore diet associated with colon cancer, carnivore diet associated with Alzheimer's, carnivore diet associated with, uh, and my left eyebrow won't go up this much when I read that. Mm. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's kind of expected, those headlines, and that's what they're going to see. In the pantheon of, of, of harm, how do you, you know, differentiate or distinguish between meat or chicken and beef and pork versus oils versus dairy? Like, how do you kind of? Oh my, <laughs> well, there's, there's a choice. Um, uh, and again, as the toxicologists say, the dose makes the poison. And um, a little, a teaspoon of oil is probably not going to hurt anybody. And a, uh, and a small little bite of cheese probably not going to hurt anybody. And a little piece of meat is not going to hurt anyone. Uh, it's, the, it's building your diet around these as staples is where the problem comes in. Uh, and they each have their adverse effects unique to them. And the, uh, the very act of cooking meat uh, oxidizes cholesterol, which is atherogenic. It creates carcinogens. It, it does all these things that the oils don't and the, and the dairy doesn't. But the oils uh, injure the artery walls and they, and they uh, increase the risk of, uh, of atherosclerosis uh, formation. Uh, the dairy products are loaded with everything from from estrogens to leukemia viruses. Um, the, you know, do you want to? Would you rather be shot or hung? Yeah. So, <laughs> okay. so uh, they're all pretty evil. Um, uh, if in in a survival situation, you know, um, probably the 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 meat would, uh, you know, uh, small amounts would would be less injurious. But again, we're talking about some tiny medicinal yeah. amounts, not basing your diet around it. Right. We're brought to you today by Birch. If you're serious about optimizing your sleep, listen up. I've spent countless hours researching and testing various methods to improve my nightly shut-eye, and I can confidently say that it all starts with a good foundation. And if your bed is old, if it's uncomfortable, lumpy, then your sleep inevitably is going to be impacted. So it's important to invest in a quality mattress, one that's insanely comfortable, that's organic, sustainably made, and that, my friends, is a birch mattress. Fairtrade and Rainforest Alliance certified with the finest quality organic natural materials like organic Fairtrade cotton. Birch mattresses are made with none of the toxic chemicals and off-gassing produced by most major brands. Kind of important not to be breathing that for a third of your life, I'd say. Plus, it's super luxurious. I've been sleeping on Birch for about five years, and I'd say it's the perfect ratio of soft to supportive and the craftsmanship is just next level. I've got one in every room of my house. I love it. Pretty sure you will too. And right now, Birch is giving 20% off all mattresses and two free EcoRest pillows at birchliving.com slash richroll. That's 20% off and two free EcoRest pillows. Sleep better with Birch. We're brought to you today by Seed. Gut health is all the rage. There's good reason for that. I've probably devoted, I don't know, at least a dozen episodes of this podcast to the many, many crucial ways the microbiome contributes to your overall well-being or lack thereof, and to the many diet and lifestyle protocols we should all adopt to promote gut health, from fermented food to fiber and everything in between, including, of course, the importance of supplementing with a probiotic. And the one that I have come to trust 
far beyond the shenanigans of the supplement world is Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. It's the most solid, science-based, and rigorously evidence-backed probiotic and prebiotic on the market. Formulated for optimal digestion, gut immune function, gut barrier integrity, skin health. In fact, my 16-year-old daughter has been using it to clear up a significant acne issue, and it's been wonderful, as well as many other systemic benefits. Like I said, I've been taking it daily, personally, for years. I love it. My body loves it. And right now, for our listener community, Seed is offering 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Visit seed.com slash richroll and use the code richroll25 to redeem this offer. That's seed.com slash richroll or code richroll25. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple, search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. So you grew up on a dairy farm. I did. There is, I think maybe we talked about this last time, but there, there seems to be a high percentage of plant-based doctors that grew up on dairy farms really? or just farms yeah. in general. Yes. I don't know what that's about, but maybe it's just seeing up close. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, the dairy farm you grew up bears no resemblance to the dairy farms of today, but sure. nonetheless, mm-hmm. how did that kind of did, you know, how do you, how did that impact like how you think about dairy products? And oh my. Their impact um, on health? Right. Uh, is very profound, and so much of what we're learning about dairy now uh, brings back echoes of the things that I saw. Again, and this is my uncle's dairy farm in the fifties, and uh, and I was a little kid, but a couple of things still are burned into my memory. Um, I remember the air of sadness 
um, in the dairy barn. The, the cows, they were unhappy standing there, and they often had tears. These, these female cows had tears go from their own beautiful eyes. And I realize now today these are all mothers who've had their babies taken away from them, every one of them. No wonder they are sad. Um, and they, uh, and uh, they're just standing there getting the, the baby's milk stripped from them uh, as their infant's been taken away. And well, I'm anthropomorphizing. Well, the other, remember, other memory that I have is the sound of a mother cow locked up in the stanchion in the barn with her calf uh, that my uncle just took away in the veal pen 10 yards away. And this mother cow is bellowing hour after hour, day after day, the most heart-rending, soul-tearing bellows and cries you can imagine because her her infant's been taken away. And this goes on for days, three, four, five days and nights. These haunting cries are coming. And that's the truth of dairy. You cannot get that milk flowing without taking that calf away from the mother. It's a cruel cruel industry from the, from forcibly impregnating the, the female cows to um, taking their babies away to um, to killing the male calves for veal um, to killing the mothers after a few years they all wind up as hamburger mm-hmm. the, the dairy barn is a mm-hmm. slaughter industry so the dairy barns a short stopping off place on the way to the slaughterhouse for a few years of calves and, and milk uh, and I didn't understand that when I was eight but I sure understand it now and the memories of those the tears running down the mom's cheek, and the and their cries uh, against uh, uh, against their babies taken away um, still haunt me to this day. It's a cruel, cruel industry. So you go vegan in like 1981, Correct. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and from what I understand, I mean that was it seems like that was motivated mostly from kind of a ethical moral compunction initially. Actually, there it was the conjunction of two very powerful forces. In 1981, I was a resident in anesthesiology in Vancouver, and and I'm on the cardiovascular service. And day after day, I'm putting people to sleep, and I'm watching surgeons open up their chest and open up the arteries in their heart. And from their coronary arteries, they're pulling this yellow, greasy gut called atherosclerosis out of their arteries. And and I knew what that stuff was. There was already studies in the journals um, talking about what this stuff is. And I realized um, that I should pay attention. My dad is already showing signs of clogged arteries. Mm-hmm. It, it would eventually kill him. Uh, and and I'm, as I'm watching the, uh, the surgeon one day pull a particularly rubbery, slithery piece of, uh, of material out of an artery, I thought to myself, man, that stuff looks like chicken fat. And a little voice on my shoulder said, it's a good reason why it looks like chicken fat, doctor. It is chicken fat and cow fat and pig fat and the fat of the animals this man was eating. So from the operating room, I'm getting this um, message that if I don't change my diet, I'm, that's going to be me on that table, that striker saw going up my sternum, and I really don't want uh, that to happen. I saw those folks when they wake up. They're very uncomfortable. Um, so I, from the medical side, I was getting the um, uh, very strong message. But then, uh, as you mentioned, um, when I was a fourth-year med student at uh, University of Illinois in Chicago, I'd spend my Saturday nights in the trauma unit at Big Battle Cook County Hospital. And, uh, and 
all night I would see the worst that humans inflicted on each other, the physical violence, the sexual violence, the psychological violence. I would be shaking by Sunday morning when I walked out of there. And I vowed, if I couldn't rid the world of violence, to at least get out of my own life to become a man of nonviolence. And, uh, and I made a serious study of it. And, and I got the, the books on from the Indian saints mm-hmm. and Mahatma Gandhi about you know, leading a life of ahimsa, of nonviolence. And uh, so I really started trying to institute these in my life. And um, so I'm up in Vancouver and uh, on the cardiovascular service. And one night I'm out for dinner with a friend of mine, and I'm pontificating about living a life of nonviolence while I'm polishing off a porterhouse steak at the local Kagan Cleaver. Uh-huh. And, uh, and John looks at me with great compassion. He says, that's all very nice, Michael. But if you want to get the violence out of your life, you might want to start with that piece of meat on your plate because in satisfying your desire for the taste of flesh in your mouth, you are paying for the death of the animal and for the next one in line at the slaughterhouse. Well, as soon as he said that in my head, all the rationales, you know, oh, well, that's what they raised them for, and the animal's dead already, you know. But before the words could come out of my lips, the uh, that little voice said, you know, that he's, was it. He's, he's right. Yeah. He's right. And when I went out to pay for the meal, I felt complicit in a crime because I remembered the cows on the farm and, that, and no wonder she was crying, you know, because they're all going to wind up. By, I remember the, the, the bulls being shot in the head and when the dairy cow stopped giving milk, my uncle would call the farm, the, the slaughterhouse guy, and he would come with his truck and load her up. I knew the reality of it. And here I was paying for that system to work. And so between what I was seeing in the operating room and what I knew in my heart from that night in the steakhouse, that, that was the end of that the was it. That was it. The line and in the sand was drawn. The line in the sand. And um, so I adopted a plant-based diet, lots of lentil stews and bean chilies, and uh, my body loved it. Boy, within 12 weeks, uh, a 20-pound spare tire of fat melted off my waist. My high blood pressure went to normal. My high cholesterol went to normal. I felt great waking up in a nice, lean body every day. And I said, something to this. Uh, and at that point, I realized I didn't want to be an anesthesiologist and spend my time putting people to sleep. I'd rather go back to general practice and help mm-hmm. them wake, wake up. So I did. When that happened and you had that kind of uh, you know, epiphany, um, with respect to, you know, how it impacted your health positively, positively, did you then turn to the medical literature to find support for that? I mean, what, what was the kind of state of the canon of literature at that time? There was not much of it to say yeah. the least. Um, <laughs> Dr. Um, um, Frey Ellis, um, a physician in England, had published studies of a, uh, a fellow with bad angina um, that uh, was um, destined for the operating table, uh, went on a vegan diet, and within six months, he's hiking up the mountains in the Lake District in England. Uh, and, um, and Frank Sachs and others had published studies showing the vegetarians have lower blood pressure, they have lower cholesterol. There were already little flickers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, within a year or two, um, Dr. Dean Ornish was published his, his initial studies. And as soon as I saw his studies, I said, yep, that's mm-hmm. right. That, that's exactly what should happen. And so I was getting in just on the early breadcrumb right. stage of- Maverick. Uh, <laughs> indeed, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what did your fellow general practitioner you know, practitioners in your community think of all this? Oh, my. Um, 
didn't have a, a lot of, of communication lot of with that. Didn't have a lot of support, yeah, and yeah. I knew that. Michael's and, lost the thread. Uh, in, indeed, yeah. yeah, yes. But my patients were getting healthy. That's the point. I found right. someone in the area to give uh, plant-based cooking lessons. I would send them to, to my friends. They would give them the cooking lessons. And the same thing started happening with them. And, and, and it really pushed my medical management to a... Um, and to the and to the wall in that I had a patient with uh, high blood pressure uh, and I had him on two medications uh, and I get a call from him and said, "Die! Every time I stand up, I'm getting so lightheaded. I, I I'm almost going to pass out, uh, and my heart's really thumping away there." And uh, and he says, well, "My wife took my blood pressure and it was seventy over 40. And so I, I urged those, I said those, those fateful words that I was urged never to say, stop your blood pressure medication, man. You got, that's low blood pressure. You got to stop your freaking pills. Well, as soon as I said those words, I thought there'd be a puff of smoke and the ghost of my internal medicine professor would show <laughs> yeah. up. What did you say? Stop is my fa- uh-huh. is, is medication. These are lifetime medication. Nobody gets off these pills. Man, not only can you get them off their medication, you've got to get them off. They'll stand up and pass out on you. And so, um, so wow, um, high blood pressure is reversible, and you can. This is not lifetime medication. Mm-hmm. You can get get these patients off the uh, off their medications. Um, well, once that happened, that broke the, the old model, and now the door was open. And, well, it wasn't long before one of my diabetic patients called me. And they were on 20 units of insulin and on metformin. Type 2? Type 2. Mm-hmm. And uh, I woke up with a blood pressure, uh, with a blood sugar 30 today. I, I have a pounding headache. And I said, well, cut your insulin in half. He calls me two mornings later. He's still running low blood sugars. So I said those faithful words, stop your insulin. And you don't need insulin anymore. So I expected the right. puff, puff of smoke. The malpractice indeed, lawsuit exactly, dropping on your head. Exactly. But got him off his medication. Uh-huh. He's, he's now a lean, healthy guy, doesn't have diabetes. And uh, so these two patients, once I had this experience, there's no turning back. There's no, there's no denying what I just mm. saw. These, these people are getting healthier right in front of my eyes. And they're so grateful. They are so happy to be off their pills. They're, people don't want to be sick. And then people, you know, the, my other doc friends will say, ah, oh, people, people won't change their, their right. diet. They will change. They're tired of being fat and sick. Yeah, that was the thing I was going to ask. I, I, I think we're, you know, on this subject of patient care, there is this sense, A, that, you know, people are not going to change their lifestyle habits. So just give them the pill. That's kind of the conventional approach here. And second to that, we're now kind of in a an interesting, you know, different type of culture and social climate where, it's not exactly encouraged to confront people with the fact that they're overweight or, or obese or, you know, it's like fat shaming or whatever, like, you know, don't, you can't tell them the truth about that. Or like, you know, you're beautiful and perfect exactly the way that you are. Uh, and the, the combination of those two things, I think, you know, makes it more difficult to do exactly what you just explained. Yes, and I run into that, but I don't let it stop me. In fact, in my slide presentation, I've got a, a picture, a plastic model of an obese abdomen, and and I and I, along with some obese people saying, "Well, that's the way I am, and accept me how I am." And fair enough. And psychologically, I've got nothing but compassion for these people. And there's all sorts of reasons why they're carrying this extra weight from the way they were raised and abuse and their view of food, etc. There's no aspersions on the person. 
but from a but I say from a completely physical point of view, uh, when we're talking physiology here, here's what's going on inside that abdomen. And I got up there, we, we sliced the, that obese abdomen in half. And so there are two kinds of fat in the abdomen. One is right under the skin, the subcutaneous fat is metabolically active. It produces estrogen. It's the largest estrogen-secreting tissue in the body. And if and you do not want it to be obese with 30 pounds of estrogen-secreting tissue pumping out these powerful hormones plastered on your abdomen. If you're a woman, that's a great way to get breast lumps and, and fibroids and bleeding and, uh, and possibly increased risk of breast cancer. Estrogens make the prostate gland unstable. It's a, if you're a guy, it's a great way to wind up with man boobs and prostate cancer, you, you, you don't want the subcutaneous fat pumping out all these estrogens. And inside the abdomen, the intra-abdominal fat that wraps around the intestines, that's a different metabolic cat, and that puts out these molecules called inflammatory cytokines that, that fan inflammatory reactions throughout the body. And they not only make inflammation worse in joints and arteries, um, but they also interfere with the action of insulin, and then they make type 2 diabetes worse. And uh, people can get all defensive if they want, but again, your body doesn't care. The obesity is not a, a state of health; mm -hmm. it's a state of inflammation and estrogen excess, and, and this lead, this leads to shortened lives. So uh, I delicately try and yeah. put that across, but to the docs, I say, you guys got to know this. This is really the reality of this. So the subcutaneous fat is producing all of this estrogen, but but people are afraid to eat soy. <laughs> and something. And it is yeah. so sad, and it's a real casualty uh -huh. of this modern internet age. I mean, ooh, soy, ooh, I got phytoestrogens going to give you man boobs and turn your son gay. Don't eat tofu. <laughs> uh, and, oh, I've heard all that stuff. <laughs> and, and it's sad not only because it's not true, but it, as you're probably aware, the phytoestrogens in soy are actually protective. They actually uh, block the receptor sites that the cancer-causing estrogens uh, are trying to occupy. Now, in the countries where they eat the most soy, they have the lowest rate of breast cancer. Mm. And the women who with breast cancer who eat soy do better. Uh, their, their, their cancers grow more slowly. So it's, uh, it's one of these un unfortunate uh, media inversions uh, of the truth. Well, it's so strange how certain foods get conflated with gender identity mm. and, and perhaps diet protocols as well. Like, oh, if you're vegan, you're a soy boy, you know, you're going to mm. be a whatever, you know, whatever gets associated with that culturally. And it's it's so strange. Oh, it is. If you're eating meat and you're barbecuing, even if you're just buying it in cellophane wrappers in the <laughs> at the supermarket, mm -hmm. that some, somehow makes you more of a man Not in the traditional man. sense. And that's why I was so glad to see the film The Game Changers come out. Uh, so that hopefully, we'll yeah. blow that stereotype out of the water. That uh, it certainly made an impact. Oh, it certainly has. Yeah. I'm curious yeah. to see what what you what kind of feedback you've gotten about. I was that. just I was with Luis Ahoyas the other day, uh -huh. the director of the film, right. working on uh, some PSAs with you know Dotsie Bausch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know um, that Dotsie. Working on some commercials. What a great with cyclist. Him. And uh, I'm 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 not part of the Game Changers, and uh -huh. I'd never met Louis before, but uh -huh. it was a pleasure to meet him and to mm -hmm. talk to him and and just to you know congratulate him on the impact of that movie i mean it's really you know it's made a it's made a gigantic impact it's undeniable yeah, absolutely so. and uh hopefully it'll start dismantling that stereotype mm -hmm. that vegetarians are are feminine, feminine so. wimps but it goes yeah. back to the siloing and the confirmation yep. bias and all that kind of stuff it it was amazing to kind of watch you know again from a forensic point of view 
all the um, all the rebuttals and the the deconstruction pieces and that came out in the wake of that, you know, trying to hold their ground and you know combat the 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 science and the perspective of that movie, uh, you know, because people want to believe what they want to believe, yeah. and and we are in a very strange time in which it doesn't matter how much science and fact you put in front of somebody, they're going to dig in on whatever their their perspective is, and and listen, you know the vegan plant-based community isn't immune from that as well. I see it going on on both sides. Sure. And, you know, it's concerning about the health of our culture in general, whether it's happening in the health conversation or in the political conversation and all the social problems that we're, you know, facing right now. I think it's a real, it's a real problem. And I'm not sure how we're going to solve that with hmm. the way that te technology is headed. Really? Uh, I agree. Um, you know, you have to have faith in the truth. Yeah. And, uh, they, you know, they say you can't keep a hat pin in a cloth bag right. for very long. You know, the point comes out. Yeah. And uh, the truth is we're plant-eating creatures. And when you look at the uh, environmental uh, cost of creating a flesh-based diet, it's destroying this planet. And yeah, I mean, that's the other big thing that's kind of occurred in the in the decades since you began this. Now, there's a whole environmental uh, conversation around the impact of diet on the health of our planet that didn't exist when you began this. And um, I think it just is another, you know, everybody, you know, has different things that motivate them or that concern them. And now it's just another on-ramp into why this is a good idea. Oh, absolutely. And uh, to the folks who are advocating, you know, paleo diets or keto diets, you know, the, uh, if they're, I said, wait a minute. If you, everybody ought to be eating paleo. Really? Are you truly advocating a flesh-based meal three times a day for 8 billion people? What are mm -hmm. you talking about? That is, that's just, you take. We just don't have the land or the resources to do it. Like I, I'm, I'm in support of, you know, regenerating our soil and the impact that regenerative methods of agriculture can have. And, you know, I had the, did you see that movie, The Biggest Little Farm? That documentary no, no, is, no. you know, some, some, some local farmers here, a husband and wife couple who took a barren plot of land and turned it into a thriving ecosystem mm -hmm. through these kind of principles of regeneration. And I think that's great. Mm -hmm. There's something kind of, you know, beautiful, but also bucolic about that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that that is, you know, that's a, that's a move in the right direction, certainly away from, you know, industrial animal agriculture, mm -hmm. which is, you know, basically the, the, the motivating force behind our, our Western diet. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that that model can scale to feed 8 billion people. That's the problem. And yeah. most people, they'll look at a regenerative farm and say, well, I'm eating this way. But most people, you know, it's like, that's producing very little of the food that people are eating. It's it's really a pipe dream to think that that's going to be the solution here. That's the point. And with 350 million Americans clamoring for meat, um, the steak or the burger that would come off that farm, uh, people would be paying $120 for, right. for a steak. And, and that's just what it really should cost. Yeah, that's what it should be. That's what it should be. If we got rid of all these industrial farms and we just had these regenerative farms, meat would be incredibly expensive. Absolutely. I mean, we could dispense with the subsidies and, and the like. Exactly. It would create greater balance and i think it would it would make people you know uh more mindful but also you know the, the economic incentives are out of whack right now oh, they would be man. in line with what it actually is and the impact that that these industries are creating i yeah. think we could write this ship oh absolutely you, people could only afford to eat that stuff yeah. once a month and that'd be fine people got their meeting down to one a burger once a month i'd be a happy doc that, you know that would that would change everything. wasn't that the way that it traditionally always was that really? meat was a delicacy these things 
were, you know, these things were hard to come by. Exactly. So it was a garnish or something special. It didn't, you know, predominate our plate three times a day. Exactly. $2 burgers are, you know, an obscenity on every level, economically as well as ecologically. And, you know, sort of likewise, I celebrate the the innovation that we're seeing with the plant-based meats, with Mm -hmm. the Impossible Burgers and the Beyond Burgers. But I think, you know, it's becoming more incumbent upon the consumer to be more educated about these foods. Yes, they're vegan, but, you know, they're still coming with the bun and the ketchup and all the other, I mean, you know, there's, it's like, this is not whole food plant-based. This is a move away from industrialized animal agriculture, and that's great. And I think there are arguments to be made about the positive health impacts of these products versus their animal, you know, uh, counterparts, but let's not be confused here. You're here. So, you know, how do you think about that? Because, listen, in in 1981, you go to the health food market. (laughs) It was slim pickings, right? Now, you can get, you know, a vegan alternative to every delicacy that you could imagine. And they all they figured out how to make these things taste good to sate you in a certain way. Uh Um, And it's very easy. And I found myself doing this. I will plead guilty to this, like deluding myself into thinking like this is an okay choice. Mm -hmm. Maybe it is once in a while, but I can't make this, you know, front and center. Exactly. Uh, I'm 100 percent in agreement with you. I'm I'm so grateful to see these meat like burgers are wonderful. Mm -hmm. And if it gets Joe's six pack meat potato guy off his beef burger onto that. I'm all for it. Right. But yeah, but again, these are novelty foods. You eat them once a month or twice. So they're a treat and uh, they're a transition food for these folks who need to tiptoe into the plant-based world. Mm-hmm. And I'm very grateful for them, but no one's advocating them as a staple of the diet by, by a long shot. Yeah. We, we agree. One of the things that's amazing about, you know, the work that you've done, it's it's one thing to talk about prevention, like let's prevent people from getting heart disease or diabetes or high blood pressure and the like. It's another thing to talk about reversal. That's mm. where people start to get real prickly mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Um, but you've seen, you know, amazing results. And, you know, I had, we were talking earlier, I had Ravi Barbaro and Cyrus Kambada in here talking about um, all these case studies of people that they work with where they have reversed their type 2 diabetes and type 1. They've, they've been able to ameliorate, you know, the symptomology of that. Um, and it's really, you know, really quite something. But this is this is nothing new for you. You've been doing this for a long time. Uh, indeed. I was on the medical staff at True North Health Center in Santa Rosa, California mm-hmm. for eight years. And we saw plant-based nutrition done right in its most effective, pure setting. And and what I saw there, uh, just, uh, it was stunning. Every every medical student, every physician should see these diseases go away, to see lupus go away, rheumatoid arthritis go into remission, and uh, high blood pressure disappear, and type 2 diabetes. These are reversible diseases. Yeah, I wish somebody had told me that when I was a medical student, and as part of the lecture that I'm that I'm giving to the students, mm-hmm. um, that these are eminently reversible diseases. And when you know, if you if you have a gasoline burning engine and you've been putting diesel fuel in it and it's running rough and black smoke is coming out of it, and then you switch to high tech gasoline, you're, hey, mm, boy, the car runs great. Oh, it's a miracle. Oh, no. no, it's not. You just put the right <laughs> fuel in the car, and then the problems go away. <laughs> and it's the same thing with our food. Uh-huh. So many of the, these conditions are just a result of what we're eating. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? 
If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson, where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. You are listening to this podcast because you care about improving your health and your well being. But this quest is incomplete if you have yet to add my friend Dr. Rangan Chatterjee's Feel Better, Live More podcast into your listening quiver. An RRP favorite and someone I'm personally quick to call when I'm in need of good advice. From nutrition to mindset, fitness, and relationships, each episode is packed with the tools you need to become the architect of your health. Subscribe to Feel Better, Live More, available wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend Amanda Decadene is one such human. The podcast is called The Conversation because it is the conversation a groundbreaking series of raw and honest exchanges on the issues that matter most. Mental health, sex, politics, ambition, gender roles, and more. Listen to The Conversation wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. Well, one of the big interesting protocols at True North is the fasting, that kind of protocol that you put mm -hmm. patients under. And this is another area that I think for a long time was considered, you know, very oh, fringe. Absolutely. I know that, you know, the staff, yourself included, have taken hits for, you know, kind of putting people under this, this, you know, regimen. Um, but, you know, interestingly, now suddenly fasting is all the vogue, mm -hmm. right? Really? Uh, and it's it's weird how these trends happen. Like nobody said any said boo about the microbiome and then suddenly it's all about the micro, you know, like I don't know how these things percolate up, but right now we're we're in a moment where people are are not only paying attention to the benefits of fasting and intermittent fasting, you know, there's science that's starting to show up to back it up and and, you know, the average person now is, oh, I, I, you know, I fast 18 hours a day, three times a month or whatever it is. Like, this is something that nobody was talking about even five years ago. Remarkable. Whatever is new is, whatever right. is old is new again, right. you know, right? And the wheel keeps going around and around. But I, I'm in amazement as you are to see these things are now becoming far more widely accepted. Uh, the human body and fasting is, uh, you, we could spend a whole program on mm -hmm. that. The... Um, and when we take a step back, we realize that, you know, a million years ago on the African savanna, it was probably pretty common that four or five days would go by before right. you found the next berry bush with fruit on it or the next 
carcass rotting in the sun. And these, these enforced four or five day fasts were probably the rule. And our body learned how to deal with that. And in fact, um, after 48 hours without carbohydrates coming in, which is our preferred fuel, uh, the body switches into burning stored body fat and goes into the state of ketosis. And wonderful things happen in, in the early stages of ketosis. And the body starts cleaning itself out. It suppresses inflammation. It, um, it protects the stem cells. So when they revive after the fast, it's a healthy immune system. These wonderful things happen. And we would use that at True North. We would put people on water fast. But again, this, these are, this is medically supervised fasting. This is medical fasting. These are mm-hmm. people with runaway high blood pressure, runaway rheumatoid arthritis, lupus. These are official medical problems in these people. And a fast is in a wonderful uh, initial step to, to suppress the symptoms and, and start the person on the road to recovery. But as I tell the patients and the med students who would rotate through True North, you know, the fasting is wonderful, it's powerful, it's great. But on the screen of their life, it's a little blip on the screen. What matters is what you eat after the fast. It's the food stream day after day, month after month that makes for a healthy body. Because if they go on a water fast for three weeks and they get this great improvement, but if they go back to cheeseburger and pizza right. land, the Cinderella turns back into a pumpkin within days. Uh, the joints are sore. The blood pressure is back up. The, the, the water fasting is a step to a whole food plant-based diet. And, you know, that, and while they're water fasting, we would give them cooking lessons and show them videos and food demonstrations. Uh, so when they left, they would know what to eat so the symptoms don't come back. So the, the fasting is a powerful tool, but it's just a tool in wow. the chest. The issue is the food. So patient comes to True North, meets mm-hmm. with you. How mm-hmm. do you decide whether or not to put them on a fast? And if so, how long to do it? And what is it that you're kind of monitoring while they're doing it? Because uh, at three weeks, three week water fast, that's this is not intermittent fasting. No, this, this is, is like this is a whole <laughs> different thing. Like why how did this begin as a procedure or a protocol? And you know, what is actually happening with this person while they're undergoing that? I mean, yeah. three weeks. Wow. Yes, right. Such an important question. It sounds yeah. crazy. It, it does, but first of all, it's easier than you think. Um, by day three, hunger is gone. The, by, one of the blessings of ketosis, it pretty much turns off hunger. And by day three, four, the, you're not thinking about food. It's God's gift to fasters. You don't spend three weeks hungry. Uh, and in fact, all the energy that would usually be uh, devoted to digesting your food uh, on a water fast is freed up, no food to digest. And people feel that energy. And uh, they stop me in the courtyard, Doc, I haven't felt this good in years. I, I got energy. I haven't eaten in three weeks, but I feel wonderful. It's counterintuitive. You think you're going. Keep going. Like there's me, my alcoholic mind would be like, this is this is no more food forever. (laughs) Really? Yeah. We just don't eat again. Feel high. Right. Exactly. Uh, And. there's a good reason for this, and and the body's using this energy to heal and to readjust itself. It's it's a it's a it's a blessed state, um, but you but you don't do a lot of physical activity here. You don't want to drop your blood sugar. It's a, it's a special mm-hmm. state. It's a good time to get some meditation done and some contemplation. Work on your novel. Uh, it, it's 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 a time to be physically quiet uh, during that time. But but as far it's not three weeks of hunger. People aren't even hungry after after a few days. The vast majority of them. Every once in a while, I'll get somebody i was hungry all the way through but it is rare most people um they're, they're not hungry and during this time wonderful things are happening as far as 
their, the, the underlying disease process that brought them there in the first place. Their diabetes is usually getting better, their high blood pressure is coming down, their arteries are opening up, the angina is going away. Uh, uh, but there are absolute contraindications. You don't fast type 1 people with type 1 diabetes. Um, people who are way underweight, uh, that they're not good candidates for water fasting for whatever reason. Um, and, uh, people with uh, a lot of emotional problems, probably mm -hmm. not, not a good idea. Uh, children, you don't fast. There are, there are some contraindications uh, as far as determining who does the fast. Uh, and then as far as uh, monitoring the fast, that's a good word. Um, we wash these people like a hawk. The intern knocks on the door twice a day. How are you doing? Checks their vital sign, checks your blood pressure, the pulse, any nausea, any headache. You're getting lightheaded when you stand up. And if we get positive answers to any of those questions, yeah, I think I'm going to throw up. I'm getting lightheaded. That's the end of the fast. It's time for some juice and to get them onto some some uh, light foods. So we're so um, if most every healthy person can you can do a three day fast at home, mm -hmm. five at the most. After that, you better be in a place where people know what they're looking at. Uh, if you get lightheaded or nauseated or whatever, so um so we're, so monitoring by an experienced person is is really key to doing these long fasts safely. But at home, uh, if, if people just on a weekend, I've got patients who just water do water from Friday to Monday. Absolutely reasonable thing to do. Mm -hmm. I think I think good things happen in their body. I've got people who don't eat till noon. Uh, I think that that extra six hours in the morning of, uh, of no food does good things for them. That's intermittent fasting. So there, people can put their toe in the water and get the benefits without doing the, these long medically supervised fasts. Yeah, it seems like science is still very much emerging in this area. I mean, you have Walter Longo, who's kind of you know at the forefront of this, who's studying this, and he's come up with his fasting mimicking diet, which mm -hmm. allows you to eat, but still kind of produces that same physiological effect. You have Sachin Panda. They all have a little bit of different opinions on this. I had David Sinclair in here the other day, mm, oh, really? who was uh -huh. talking at length about you know what's happening and it, it, when when you fast, how that's impacting longevity and anti aging, like. I think it's a very cool, interesting um, field, mm -hmm. and perhaps much more you know needs to be studied here. And I'm wondering whether there's any wisdom in like why do the three week fast when you could do perhaps the fasting mimicking diet? And you know, is there a reason why you you've you, you know this institute where you used to work kind of settled on this as being the mm -hmm. best way of dealing with this? And I and you know, as a as an important caveat, you're dealing with people who are very ill that are coming to you. Right, exactly. And uh, as you already mentioned, the, the these the folks are kind of self-select. If they yeah. if they've come there, uh, and they're willing. They're they're willing. <laughs> yeah, they're ready to uh, they're ready to go. It is, yeah. and it's also you know the the big league heavy artillery of mm -hmm. uh, of nutritional therapy. Um, a, a full on water fast is very effective. And if I've got a, a guy, we've had a fellow a blood pressure of, of two twenty over one thirty, and he was on four medications, and just nothing was bringing him down, and it took him twenty seven days on a water fast, but finally that pressure came mm -hmm. down. And so those are the kind of folks that that, that kind of fasting works yeah. the best for. I would imagine also psychologically, it's got to be incredibly empowering because oh. you're bringing somebody in who's, you know, kind of feeble bodied at the moment and you're putting in front of them something that is seemingly impossible to do. And then they do it. It's got to make them, you know, in addition to whatever, you know, spikes in vitality and, you know, reduction in their, you know, disease markers are just knowing like, hey, I did something incredibly hard. 
I would imagine makes them more motivated and excited about making the changes that follow and, and kind of taking an insurance policy out on making sure that they stick. Oh, it's huge. Yeah, yeah. That's so perceptive of you, Rich. Um, I tell them it's like, you know, on the outward bound courses where they bring yeah, up to a kid right. and they throw a yeah, rope yeah. over the kid. You're going over the kid. No, <laughs> I can't do that. Yes, you can. Uh -huh. And they strap you up and uh, they, you're on the rope there and you're going across and you look down and you see your own death down there. And you keep on going and you make it across. You're now someone who did that. You can't say, I can't do that. You just saw yourself do that mm -hmm. and, and push yourself past your limits. Well, a, a prolonged water fast doesn't say, oh, I can't do that. Well, you just did it. And you'll never be upset about missing lunch again. Yeah. Uh, it just went three weeks without food. Uh, and it, it, you're right. It's tremendously empowering. And, and it's a real investment that people want to stick with. What are some of the craziest turnarounds that you've seen in your career? Oh. Oh, my. Um, we had two patients with lymphomas uh, come in. Uh, uh, Rebecca was an older woman, had a, had a mass the size of a, of, a, of a grapefruit in her abdomen. Um, she did a prolonged water and uh, juice cleanse, and that just melted right away. Um, her uh, lymphoma disappeared. This was uh, um, validated at uh, University of California, San Francisco. They biopsied it. Completely uh, disappeared. Completely disappeared. Wow. Without traditional With, chemo and all of that. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, and then Yvonne was another one. She came in she also had lymphoma. She had lymph nodes the size of hen's eggs in her groin and her armpit. Um, she did a 26 day fast. Um, tumors just melted right away. Uh, and she's, she's been cancer free. Uh, now, lymphomas are special kind of cancers. Uh, they're watery. Um, they respond well to, to fasting, to the biochemical changes. Um, so, not, not all cancers are created equal. I can't say it's the, it's the definitive <clears throat> cure for cancers. But to see that happen and uh, was just stunning to me. Another one of these things that were told, no, that never happens. Well, I just saw it happen twice. So those are two of the most mm -hmm. dramatic. And, uh, and you know, Dr. McDougall's got a big wastebasket of pills that people, you know, just, right. just, you know throw in there. And, yeah. and that's so gratifying. People come in with these bags full of pills, and they leave normal, healthy people. And as they're walking Crazy. out the door, you go, yes, that's what medicine Amazing. should be. Um, we've seen the growth of, of lifestyle medicine practitioners. This is another you know, trend in the right direction. Um, it would be great if there were more people doing this. We're in a healthcare system that makes it, I think, kind of too difficult for mm -hmm. a lot of practitioners, physicians to make that choice. Mm -hmm. And back to that issue of, of you know, empowering people to make these lifestyle changes, so much of it is the follow-up, like how connected are these people to the practitioners you were talking about, the doctor who's, you know, that doctor's not gonna be around to see that person when this happens, but to create that relationship where there's accountability and there's check-ins and there's support and all of that, I think is critical uh, in terms of, 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 you know, making sure that these things stick long-term. And, you know, if you're, you know, had, some of these doctors are Robert Osfeld or Michelle McMahon. Like there are Michelle McMahon, you know, there are doctors that are doing this very effectively. Um, so I'm interested in your, and obviously True North being an incredible example of this, but you know, how can we, you know, create better incentives for physicians to craft practices like this and create those, those, you know, communities to promote this 
in, in light of a system that is giving these doctors 15 minutes, prescribe, get them out the door, churn and burn, uh, you know, the way that it's all set up right now just seems wrongheaded. Oh, it's absolutely wrongheaded. And it's, and it's days are numbered. Um, I think that we're, it's inevitable that the current edifice of just paying doctors to do things to patients, to do bypass grafts, to do colonoscopies, et cetera, after the disease has already started, to do mm -hmm. these Band-Aid procedures, very expensive Band-Aid procedures, um, and you do, do a quarter million dollar operation and the patient limps out of the hospital to go eat more cheeseburgers and pizzas and clog up their grafts so they can come back in and have another one done. That's bankrupt medicine and, it, and it's totally not sustainable. Um, I ran into uh, at, a, at an American College Lifestyle Medicine meeting uh, a nice-looking uh, lean fellow, Ken Beckman. Thought he was a doctor. He said, uh, "No, I'm not a physician. Um, I'm a plant-based insurance actuary." Well, I said, "Oh," he said, "Oh, yeah." I said, "Well, a bunch of us realize that the vegans require a lot less medical care," and he said, "The and the insurance companies need to take advantage of this." Um, the entire model has to has to collapse down in, in this way. Mm -hmm. um, he says uh, there is value for every CEO that doesn't go down with a heart attack. There is value to the community for every young breadwinner who doesn't develop a colon cancer. Um, there, there's value to the community, um, and we can quantitate that. We know that um, so, uh, someone, a diabetic person with a hemoglobin A1C of nine, which is out of control diabetes, we're, we are going to pay $15,000 a year for, for, for his medical care. If you can get his, um, his hemoglobin A1C down to eight, that lowers our cost down to 12500 We can quantitate every one-point improvement. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we, we can tell you how much money we're going to save off that. You can quantitate a lot of these diseases. Says, and that gives us an, a, a way to do value um, assessment for the patient. He says the numbers go like this. Every time we pay for a coronary artery bypass, um, <clears throat> by the time we pay the surgeon, anesthesia, recovery room, the rehab, et cetera, costs us quarter million dollars, 250000 for every, if in a 10-year period, we expect to create, to pay for 10 of those with 100 executives here, and none of them have their MI, and none of them uh, wind up needing the procedure, we're sitting on that money. We'll be happy to pay the doctor $20,000. we will pay the patient $20,000. we will pay the clinic $20,000. we are still sitting on almost $200,000 profit here. There's money in the system. We've just got to rejigger the way the beans are flowing. Uh, the bean counters have to start paying the doctors for keeping people healthy and, and the patients as well. It can be done. And it, there would, it would free up so much money, uh, all these scans not done, procedures not done. We could send kids to college. We could put internet mm -hmm. in everybody's houses. We could fix the roads. There's such wealth there. We just need to restructure yeah. how we're seeing the way medicine's practiced. I think that has to go hand in hand with education as well. And Absolutely. perhaps an overhaul of our litigious society. I mean, right. so many of these tests and scans are driven by fear of getting sued, right? right. Absolutely. Like, well, I got Huge. this disease and they could have given me this and they didn't. You know? Yes, but I predict that the, we're going to see a 180 on that. I think it's just a matter of time before an angry widow walks into the office of a cardiologist or a cardiothoracic surgeon 
says, my husband died on that operating table last month during a four-vessel coronary artery bypass, and nobody told us he could have melted those plaques away from the inside with a plant-based diet. Why didn't somebody tell us this? Why was this information withheld from us? When did you people know this? How long has this been in the medical literature? 25 years. And she will lodge a wrongful death suit. And I think she should win that suit because this was a wrongful death. That, that someone, when she signed the, the, when the patient signed the insert informed consent form, it should say, and I've been instructed that this, this, these plaques could be melted away with a, with a whole food plant-based diet. Someone should have told him that. And, and there's going to be a couple of lawsuits and that hopefully will, will move us in the direction we need yeah, to go to. That would to. be a very interesting test case. Oh, it sure would. It sure yeah. would. Uh, they'll say, well, it's not standard of care. Well, darn well it should be, and uh, we've got to get that uh, mm. dietary counseling you know, as part of standard of care. If you could um, craft the perfect healthcare system, what would that look like compared to what we have right now? Well, I think the ancient Chinese had it, had it right 2,500 years ago. You pay the doctor as long as you're healthy, for keeping healthy. And uh -huh. as soon as you get sick, the doctor stops getting paid. <laughs> and yeah. it motivates the doctor to keep you healthy. What are you eating? You know, and he's, he's very interested in how you're living your yeah. life because his income stops if you get sick. And some variation on that. Right. Um, the, there's so many ways we could do this, uh, and the, the federal government could help. When it comes tax time, um, and before you fill out your taxes, you go down to the, to the local pharmacy where the nurse in the urgent care booth is sitting there, and uh, she takes your blood pressure, puts you on the scale, and, um, and, and takes a urine specimen and sticks your finger for cholesterol. Mm. And if you're no more than five pounds over your ideal body weight, take 5% off your taxes. If your blood pressure is 130 over 80 or below, take another 5% off your taxes. If there's no cotinine in your urine from cigarette smoking, take another 5% off your taxes. Um, if your cholesterol is below 150, take another 5% off. And, and she'll write it up and give you a little ticket that you submit with your tax return. Whoa, the government's paying me for staying healthy. Yeah. There's so many ways we could do this, and we would all be better off for it. Yeah. Where was it? I saw, I might have this wrong, but I saw a little video. I think it was in, might have been in Russia or China, where you could get a free like subway token if you're you run on a treadmill. <laughs> yes, <laughs> would, right. Again, yes, something right. like that. It's something like that. There's something similar to that. I know. To, to, or the this. idea of like setting up a gym, like reversing the gym membership thing. Like the gym's free as long as you're going. The minute you stop going, like you sign up for a year. If you don't, you pay when you don't go. Yes, <laughs> you know brilliant. Like, Absolutely. You know. The tools are all around us. We just click our thinking a little bit, get creative. Yeah. Sure. I mean. We certainly need to make changes. We not, sure not, do. It's not working so well it right is now. Not. It is not. It's a disease care system, right. and the disease is winning at this point. So if, somebody, if somebody's listening to this, and they're like, I'm on board conceptually, I understand this, but what does this, I, you know, I don't really, what does this mean? Like, I wake up in the morning, okay, so what do I eat, and how does this work? Like, walk me through an ideal, you know, day in the life of food and activity and lifestyle in the yeah. world of Michael Clapper. Absolutely. Okay, well, as long as you're eating 
food that grew out of the ground and has been minimally processed, you're going to be okay, right. basically. The, in fact, I'm going to have another T-shirt made up. Um, eat plants and get on with it, you know, uh, at this point, because that's what it comes to. The human down brain to. loves to overcomplicate this. Though. Oh, we do. There, there we must do, be we, some velvet rope, and I, you yeah. know, I need this secret VIP thing. Really? But again, uh, this body's been around for 30 million years. It, uh, we are plant-eating creatures. So in the morning, um, if, you're, if you're not hungry, don't eat. Just drink water till you get hungry. That's a perfectly legitimate thing to do. And there's reasons why that, that, that makes sense. Is you've been fasting all night. It's okay to extend that into the morning hours. So if you're not hungry, don't eat. Uh, just drink water. If you are hungry, buy, may have, either have some fruit, have a cantaloupe, have a grapefruit, et cetera, or something more substantial, some oatmeal and some fruit with it, uh, a little hemp milk or rice milk on top of that. Um, so there's breakfast, um, lunches and dinners. Um, I say put them on the 4S clothesline here, salad, soup, steamed veggies, and starches. Mm -hmm. And um, so have a big salad at least once a day. You got to have that fresh live, fresh green stuff. You know, so have a big salad once a day, twice a day is even better. Um, I'm a big fan of these hearty vegetable soups. You can make up a big pot of soup in a crock pot or a slow cooker and eat off of it for three days. Uh, pour a bunch into Tupperware freezer containers, let them cool, put lids on, put them in the freezer. So you got a bunch of frozen soup portions, bring them out, heat them, eat them, make life simple for yourself. So I'm a big fan of these hearty vegetable soups. I could live on soup and salad and steamed greens. Uh, in fact, that's largely what, what we eat. Um, you need to, <clears throat> favorite colors should be green and yellow, green and yellow. I have something dark and green every day, whether it's kale, chard, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, etc. And something yellow, carrots, squash, sweet potatoes, uh, uh, yams. You need something for the carotenes. So, um, so salad, soup, steamed veggies. And you need some calories in the form of healthy starches. So I'm a big fan of sweet potatoes and, and uh, potatoes of all sorts. Uh, but quinoa and millet and all these lovely whole grains. And um, we make a little bow to the uh, to the legumes uh, as far as proteins go. I have something leguminous at least every other day, a, a scoop of lentil stew, a bean burrito, a bean chili, a hummus sandwich, something that has some legumes in it. If you do that and have some fruit for dessert, man, you're going to, the body will know what to do with that. You're going to have a fine food stream there. But Dr. K. Yes. What about protein? Oh, protein. Right. Uh, and there's protein in everything. Uh, if you are eating 2,000 calories, um, enough to keep your weight up, of whole plant foods that grew out of the garden, out of the ground, um, you're going to be getting 50, 60, 70 grams of high-grade protein. It's, it's in the rice and the beans and the greens and the fruits. and Everything's got protein. I've, in, in 45 years of medicine, I've never written the diagnosis protein deficiency right. on the chart. It just, just, just does not happen. So, But again... You, you, whole foods are really important. You got to be able to identify. Oh, that's a cucumber. That's a carrot. That's a, that's a green pepper over there. It's when the hand of man uh, processes it into all sorts of flakes and processed right. food. That's when you get in trouble. Whole grains are very much a part of this as well. Mm -hmm. um, what have you learned, or what's your perspective on gluten, gluten. and gluten sensitivity? Right. Um, it's an issue, but it's it's this much of an issue. It's not that much of an issue. Um, there's pr probably um, more of it than we think. It's, it's a fairly rare phenomenon from a strictly medical point of view in the classic sense where we docs learn that someone is gluten sensitive, they eat some bread, and they spend the next six hours on the toilet with bloody diarrhea. That's fairly rare. Mm -hmm. But there's probably a little low, it's a continuum. There's probably a lot of folks with a low-grade gluten sensitivity that may not even be aware of it, and they get this bloating and the gas and the loose stools. 
if there's any question, just stop all gluten for a month. And, and if your symptoms clear up, then have three slices of whole wheat bread one day and see how you feel the next day. Do you, you know, it's the cheapest, best lab test going. Uh, and see if, see if you're gluten sensitive or not. You can test yourself. Um, I wouldn't rely on the, on the blood test at this point. I know that when I eat, like if I eat a, ref, you know, refined bread or pizza mm -hmm. crust or things like that, if I overdo it with that, like the next day, my eyes are all puffy, you know? So I was like, well, clearly there's some inflammation happening here. I don't know what's happening in my joints or the mm -hmm. rest of my body, mm -hmm. but there's, this can't be a good thing. Something yep. is happening. That's somewhat awry in my body. So I know. wish I could tell you I was perfect about that. I'm definitely not, mm -hmm. but, um, but at but least you're there, tuned there in. must be something to that though I, oh there I is, is absolutely saying, and you, you did know. the right thing and you're tuned in enough to know that when i eat this next morning my body is not happy but so all you need to know you're probably someone who should eat gluten very uh -huh. sparingly and and you've already gotten that message and so the lightning doesn't come out of the sky and strike you dead but your body lets you know in one way or the other what about Organic versus non-organic. Um, in this day and age, it's becoming more and more um, uh, significant. Um, the uh, for a number of reasons. Um, the um, you know the less pesticides and herbicides we eat, the better. I feel much better about paying those organic farmers to take care of the soils and to take care of, of the earth. So I'm, I've got nothing better to do with my pennies than, than buy organic produce. And, uh, and, and as we've heard from our friend, Dr. Zach Bush, um, hopefully uh, the organic produce will have much less in the way of glyphosate and Roundup, et cetera, uh, and less uh, by definition mm -hmm. of the genetically modified organisms. So all the way around, I'm a big fan of organic produce yeah. and I don't mind paying the extra nickel for the broccoli. What about that person who's listening to this, who's, who's thinking, this all sounds great, but like I got, I work two jobs and I'm, you know, I'm barely making ends meet. And you're talking about, you know, making all these food. It just sounds like a lot of work and the learning curve is really high, time consuming, perhaps expensive. Like how do you work with somebody who is sort of cost and time restricted? So important, great. Uh, please, uh, I would urge them go to websites like Forks Over Knives and click on their transition program, click on their recipes. They will walk you through how to make this happen in your life. There's books, Virgin Vegan, and there, there's lots of books to help you get started. Uh, the Engine 2 website uh, has some excellent um, uh, uh, programs to transition. Um, the uh, uh, so go to the websites and, and mm -hmm. take advantage of their transition programs. And also this idea, well, that's all, it's an expensive way to eat and takes a lot of time and work. Actually not. Um, rice and beans are cheap. You can buy a, a 20 pound bag of rice for, for six bucks. You can buy 15 pounds of lentils uh, for $8. Um, the staples are cheap. And if you're not spending your money on, on, on meat and ice cream and, and cheeses, you got pennies to, to spend on, on the, organic, uh, the organic produce. Um, and you can certainly save yourself a lot of time, as I mentioned, by using your freezer, make up these big batch soups, make up a, on a Saturday morning, make up 30 veggie burgers and put them in your freezer. Now you got a freezer full of burgers, bring them out, heat them and eat them. So um, these batch cooking helps. And at the, at the store, uh, you can buy bags of frozen organic vegetables already cut up. So in your soup pot, just open up a bag of frozen vegetables, throw it in the pot, and, and done. You don't have to spend any time cooking uh, or chopping. 
So there's ways around it these days. Uh, people die of their excuses. They die of their excuses. And, uh, and I don't want to see that happen any longer. Mm. So um, at this point, uh, choose the bean chili over the beef chili. And Well, and the money's going hard. one of two places. It's yeah, either yeah. going towards the food that's going to make you healthy or it's going to the healthcare provider pay, later. Pay the grocer now or the yeah. doctor later. I know. Unfortunately... <laughs> That's it's not great at motivating people. You know, we're not we're not so good at, at, you know, forecasting into the future and making better decisions now for some reason. But that is the truth. And there is something interesting about like like um, it's counterintuitive to me to buy frozen fruits and vegetables. Like I, mm -hmm. I want to go to the farmer's market and I want it really fresh. But there is something to be said for those products that are frozen immediately after picking yeah. they're you know, so they're, they're basically, they're locking in those nutrients. There's no, you know, sort of degrading process that happens in the, you know, however many days it takes between picking and ending up in your grocery store. Yeah, absolutely. Or the, the, the flash frozen vegetables are, are, the, are the busy person's friend. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. And uh, in the mornings, so we'll uh, thaw out some, the night before, before we go to bed, if we're having oatmeal the next morning, we take out the frozen mangoes and cherries from the freezer, let them thaw overnight, and we put them in the cereal the next morning. Yeah. What is your, uh, what's your exercise routine look like these days? You're, you, you're a runner. Uh, yes. Yeah. I used to be a runner. I've had, I had back surgery too many hours at uh, the operating table, and uh, so now I'm a cyclist. And, um, that's cool. So I either do, I, I love going out for these 50 mile uh -huh. bike rides. Um, but I've got a, um, an exercise bike, a recumbent bike, uh, in my, out on our patio where I can watch. I've got a couple of bird feeders, so I'm a bit, I'm a, I'm a birder, so I like <laughs> watching the birds as I'm pedaling. I could see that. But, uh, You got the big lens and the, the it, whole it did. binoculars well, and binoculars stuff? Uh, okay. on the side there. But very importantly, I, I'll get on the bike, uh, crank up the uh, resistance and start pedaling. But then I grab two 12-pound, uh, hand weights. And, and as I'm pedaling, I'm doing an upper body workout. And so I do 40 minutes of uh, of upper body while I'm pedaling and work up a good yeah. sweat doing that and I do that every other morning and uh, and so that's my cardio uh, strength program uh, and my wife's a yoga teacher so the mornings I'm not cool. uh, doing, sweating um, she's got me on the that's mat uh, doing salutations to the sun my uh, my grandparents retired to West Palm Beach. They've since passed away, but you know my youth was marked by going to West Palm Beach. You know once a year to visit them in the winter time. Um, I mean that is a community. It's it's much more cosmopolitan now than it was then, but it's certainly you know a very large retirement community. So Indeed. it must be interesting for you to be so vital at your age and to be surrounded by. A lot of elderly people who are much less so, to put it bluntly. Uh, it is, and you some you want to run up and shake them. So, yeah. so that of course you, you don't, you can't. Um, but yeah, it's it's sad, but it motivates me to uh, to help people not wind yeah. up in that position. You're seeing more and more uh, plant-based restaurants in the Miami area as well. Really remarkable. I, yeah. I've got a I've got a folder on my my computer things I never thought I would see, uh -huh. and uh, and and uh, every week I'm two or three goes in there of uh, of McDonald's serving plant-based burgers and mm -hmm. and, this, and the California schools and the hospitals now serving plant-based meals and all these amazing restaurants that are showing up. Yeah. It's really exciting. There's some really hopeful signs. Have you been to Love Life Cafe in Miami. No, no oh, I that one yet. I got to hook you up. Really? Okay. Yeah, our, our good friends, Diego and Veronica, run this amazing plant-based mm. um, 
restaurant. It's in it's in the Wynwood district in uh-huh. Miami, right, okay. which isn't too far from where you are. No. And they serve amazing food. They're just they're beautiful people too, and cyclists. Oh, okay, avid cyclists. So Excellent. I'm gonna I'm gonna connect you. With okay, that. please do. Um, one of the questions that I always ask uh, the doctors that I have on the show is, what would be like your number one agenda it like imagine a parallel universe where suddenly you found yourself as surgeon general what are the mm-hmm. changes if you had that kind of power that w- that with broad strokes you could really you know change policy mm-hmm. on a grand level like what you know how would you get to work if you rolled up your sleeves like what's what's priority number one uh, well, I would end agricultural subsidies to the meat and dairy industry and let, let the market really dictate what these things uh, sold for, for what they cost to produce. And if, if any subsidies are done, I would give it to the broccoli farmers. But I would make healthy produce really cheap where uh, it's just uh, you couldn't pass it up. Um, and then I would institute a number of, um, of incentives that I mentioned uh, as far as giving people tax breaks uh, for being healthy, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, helping with their, uh, uh, their daily health practices uh, to reward them in various ways. So uh, it becomes fun. I would um, start in the schools. I would get physical education back into the schools. I would make uh, exercise and, and healthy eating healthy for kids. Uh, and uh, to, to bring the kids out to the gardens and the farms and uh, show how their food is grown and reconnect them. Yeah. They, they are suffering from nature deficit disorder. And uh, I, would, I would connect, especially the young people, uh, with, with um, the reality of food production. So it's a, basically an educational process as well as financial rejiggering of the system. So it rewards people for staying healthy and eating healthy. Yeah, it seems elementary to me that we should build into elementary education uh, the principles of nutrition so that young people at a very early age you know, can grok these principles as yes. just fundamental so how they make decisions about how to live. Absolutely. Where does food come from? It comes from the supermarket. No one does it. It grows on trees. You need to know that. Instead, we get we get these subsidy subsidized, you know, milk advertisements uh, in high school gymnasiums. Oh my, really? And uh, we've got to stop lying to our students and lying to each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, final thing: if if somebody's listening to this and you know perhaps their health has gone somewhat awry, but they go to their doctor and their doctor is basically telling them, you know, what you already recounted, like the typical, like you got to be on these drugs, and anybody who tells you otherwise is insane, and there isn't, they don't feel like they, you know, have a community of like-minded people who are saying things similar to what you're saying, and they don't know where to turn. Is there, uh, you know, short of going to True North? Um, what are some resources, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is there a directory of plant-based doctors where people could find somebody who's kind of speaking your language in their area? Like, where do you point these Absolutely. people? Um, the websites people should know about are two of them. One is called plantbaseddoctors.org, plantbaseddoctors.org, and plantbaseddocs.com. Um, between those two, the odds are you'll find somebody near you. Um, get, educate yourself. Get books by Dr. McDougall, Dr. Furman, Dr. Esselstyn, uh, and, and all of them are, are laying out the basic truths here. But basically, it's eating plants. Uh, and um, so if you do those two things, educate yourself and find a nearby plant-based physician. Uh, you'll get all the, all the good advice you need. And I would urge people to go to my, um, our website, uh, I've got a YouTube channel. 
uh, Dr. Clapper, uh, all spelled out, D-O-C-T-O-R-K-L-A-P-E-R. It's not D-R. Uh, and I've got all sorts of instructional videos there. We're adding more and more to that. So check out my YouTube channel, Dr. Clapper. And, I love um, that you're on YouTube. And, it's great. Um, and, uh, and if people want to help um, our efforts to get me in front of medical school audiences, because yes. we've got to change Western medicine, um, go to my website, drclapper.com, all spelled out, D-O-C-T-O-R-K-L-A-P-E-R.com, and click on Moving Medicine Forward, and you'll see what we're doing. Um, not only how you can help us, we could sure use the uh, support, uh, plane tickets are expensive, but also um, there's a little box to check. If you know a medical student at a medical school or someone on the faculty you'd like us to connect with them, please give us their name, and, uh, and we will follow up and connect with that. So uh, that's on my website, drclapper.com. Com. People go to Moving Medicine Forward. They'll see. Uh, they'll see the work we're doing. Yeah, and they can follow you on Instagram too. They can follow me on Instagram yeah. too. Yeah, it's um, where to do it. That's fantastic. I mean, I think there there is no worthy more worthy cause than trying to uh, you know take all of this experience that you have to try to create you know the next generation of doctors because this is where the rubber meets the road, right? If we can if we can um, create a situation in which this next crop of medical practitioners has the tools, you know, that are required to treat these things and nip them in the bud. We don't even need to get into reversing because we're all about prevention at that point. Right? Absolutely, and we're in a much better place. Absolutely, uh, I tell these students before you order another thousand dollar scan, another five hundred dollar set of blood tests, ask your patients what they ate yesterday, and if it's full of burgers and buffalo wings, that's why they're sitting in front of you. Send them to the plant based dietitian. Let her do the counseling. Let her show in the movies. Let her take them shopping. You see them back in a month and see if they're healthier, and they will be. So it's time for the era of nutritional medicine to dawn boom all Ooh. right yeah. um i love it you are a uh, gift to humanity my friend you're a beautiful guy and uh your message is super powerful so it's an honor to help um amplify your well, wisdom so well you do that you. beautifully thank you yeah. so much for helping get the all message right. out well uh come back and talk to me again sometime. Uh, I'd be honored to. Hopefully we'll meet on the trail out there. Absolutely. And um, just to echo what you said previously, if you are in medical school or you know medical school faculty, like please reach out to Dr. Yes. K. Go and, to my website. Uh, let's, try to, let's try to get him full-time on the road. Yes, going sir. To these, going to these got medical the, schools, got right? Got nothing better to do. All right, Absolutely. Cool. Thanks. Thank you. Peace. 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 What a lovely and amazing human and public servant that Dr. Clapper is. I love that man. I'm so grateful for the work that he is doing. If his message hits home with you, I encourage you to visit the show notes on the episode page at richroll.com for plenty of links and resources to go down the rabbit hole of Dr. K. You can also find him on Instagram at Dr. Clapper and at Michael Clapper MD on Twitter. Meanwhile, hang in there, everybody. I wish you well, and I am sending you all the love vibes. Let's just take this day by day. If you'd like to support our work here on the show, subscribe, rate, and comment on it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Share the show or your favorite episodes with friends or on social media. And you can support us, as always, on Patreon at richroll.com forward slash donate. I want to thank my team for working hard to put on today's show, Jason Camiolo, for audio engineering production show notes and interstitial music. Blake Curtis and Margot Lubin for videoing the show, Jessica Miranda for graphics, Allie Rogers for portraits, Georgia Whaley for help with copywriting, DK for advertiser relationships and theme music as always by Tyler Pyatt, Trapper Pyatt, and Hari Mathis. 
Thanks for the love, you guys. I will see you back here shortly. Until then, be safe, stay safe, practice physical distancing, but social connection. Go inward and leverage this moment to grow because we need all of you to be healthy and more importantly, to be more of who you really are now more than ever. Much love, peace, plants, namaste. Yeah.